University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. You remember the board game Shoots and Ladders? Essentially, players begin the same place. They, they spin a wheel that determines the number of spots that you follow on the board. And sometimes you spin and you land on a ladder, which means that you go up to the next level, skipping over the spots along the way. However, sometimes you spin and you land on a chute, which sends you back down a lot of spaces. And sometimes you solely lead you uh, to the place where it's only just a flick of the finger. It's a chance of the game that you just land on a chute or land on a ladder. But have you ever felt this way in life? One day you're doing okay, you're striding in success, and then the next day something unexpected cripples you, an abject failure. We're in our series, Life, a conversation on the meaning of existence from the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're taking a look at some of the more challenging aspects of the life, and we're examining the purpose behind all of it. And for this week, we're going to take a look at the most well-known scripture from Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. The teacher writes, There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. You know, while I was studying the scripture, I couldn't help but to get that bird song stuck out of my head. And in listening to it again, those guys just totally ripped off scripture. The, the only thing they verbatim, it's almost identical to the scripture, and they add that line after a time for war and a time to peace, I swear it's not too late. It's got to be one of the greatest acts of plagiarism in human history. Still, it was a great song. So scripture itself is, is quite remarkable, and it's, and it's, it's perfect in, in this poem. The Hebrew people believed that the number seven was a perfect number, and there's seven poetic couplets with 14 lines that's Two times seven. The key word time is used 28 times, seven times four. And while the poem is set in a perfect structure, it houses the imperfect nature of human life. The voices represented here are birth and death, harvest and aggression, healing and chaos, restoration and sorrow, joy and celebration, play and work, affection and journey, relaxation, break, mend, quiet, speak, love, hate, peace, and calamity. The poem begins with a personal human experience, life and death. It ends with an experience of community, peace, and war. There's really no, no commentary from the teacher as to the absurdity or the predictability or the futility of the seasons of life. Instead, 
this is a call to embrace that life is a fuller experience than we thought. And the teacher doesn't indicate that God sets the seasons in motion. There's no commentary to which diverging seasons are better, no indication of the path the student should take. Therefore, we can conclude that life is... Uh, every since, ever since I was a kid, I, I loved maps, and, and I loved going on long family road trips, and I'd sit in the back of our Chevy Astro van reading through a, a big book of maps that mom and dad had kept in the car. And before I was five, I understood how most of the interstate system worked, and I certainly knew the, the big roads in our community. And ever since I could get my license, uh, I'm the kind of person that can drive through a new city one time and I know exactly where I'm going. I, I love figuring out the, the grid work of streets and avenues. By the way, there was no advanced planning to the roads here in Baton Rouge. <laughs> just take, for example, Boone Avenue, which is just right around the corner here. Boone literally picks up, drops off, picks up, drops off, picks up and drops off over a four-mile period. Or you'll start on one street, which is named One Street, and by the time you hit, it, hit the end of it two miles later, it's a completely different name. So Brightside, Lee, College. But I love, I love knowing where I'm going and what to anticipate along the way. And I think most of us, we want life to be that way. We want to know where we're going and anticipate what is ahead. But there's a big problem. Life isn't linear. Meaning, we want and think that life should be a range or extending along a straight and nearly straight line of predictable path, if you will. But life doesn't follow a straight path that occasionally goes right or occasionally goes left. It, it all seems so simple when we're young and naive. We'll, we'll go to school, we'll get a job, we'll reach all our goals, and it seems within reach. We're filled with hopes and dreams that we're going to do and somehow be successful along the way. And then life punches us in the mouth. We don't get that job. We don't get into that school. We don't make that team. We don't win that award. We don't get that fund and on and on. And even when we think we have it all figured out and everything is going to go to our plan, it all changes in a moment. Inspiration fades, beliefs transform, goals shift, life happens. And it doesn't always make sense, and expecting a logical progress is simply folly, especially in the world we live in today. We, we don't have a set of directions. There's not a secret map to tell us where we should go or paths that we should follow. For many, we follow a very simple plan in life. School, college, career, dating, marriage, having children, and then eventually nesting. For many others, we don't take the children or even the marriage route, but instead we take careerism and journeys and lifelong friendships. And as distinctly similar as the aspects of our journeys can be, there are so many variables that can change our life in an instant, such as a, a big move, getting, getting out of serious debt, starting a new job, or, or changing careers. And then there's the even more challenging things that, that come along, such as divorce, or becoming a, a widow or widower, or dealing with terminal illness in a family, or, or fighting legal battles, or depression, or the unthinkable grief of losing a child. Life's nonlinear nature brings sadness, and, and heartbreak, and loneliness, and sickness, and 
but it also brings hope and new beginnings and opportunities. The nonlinear nature of life brings signs of growth, need for protection, and abundance of, of distractions, but also success and achievements and failures and so much more. We drove to, to Colorado uh, two summers ago. I've got a picture up here, and it was one of the most humbling experiences of, of my life. The, the vistas, the views, the sheer drop-offs and elevation exchanges are remarkable. And if you've ever driven through the mountains, it's, it's quite remarkable how they were able to cut those roads through the mountains. It would have been super easier just to dig a tunnel and go through every single mountain, allowing a straight path from point A to point B. But when you experience it, you, you realize that the sheer volume and mass of the mountains require a different kind of path making, one that follows the curvatures of cliffs and the shapes of the mountains. And I wonder if it's our attitude towards, if this is our attitude towards the nonlinear nature of life. I, I think we can get caught up in this overwhelming concept that life isn't linear, all these unexpected turns and bumps and blindsides. And our problem is that, that we don't want it. We want that linear and predictable path. We want to cut right through the mountain in a straight path, avoiding all the alternatives, the pain, the insecurities, and the frustrations. And it makes sense when you think about it. Who, who wants to live a life of, of grief and mourning and death and drastic change and failure and struggles and friction and rejection? Not many of us are, are gluttons for punishment. And so we hear the teacher's poem of the nonlinear nature of life and hope that we don't have to experience it. But have you ever considered that we might be robbing ourselves of the human experience by resisting the nonlinear nature? Do we miss out on what it means to be human if we avoid the full breadth of our God-given emotions? Life isn't linear. Progress isn't linear. Growth is most definitely not linear. One step forward, two steps back. Two steps forward, one step back. There is a tremendous and breathtaking peaks along the way. But there's also dark valleys and dense wilderness. And all this is encapsulated in Ecclesiastes' most famous poem. There is a time for. But look at what it says next in verse 9. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. God made everything beautiful in its time. God has also set eternity into the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they are living. So while the teacher of Ecclesiastes like to stick a dynamite in our picturesque view of life, he then begins to shift our understanding of this nonlinear journey to something helpful. He first begins by pointing out and recognizing the unpredictable nature of existence. God knows how unexpected and overwhelming it can be. And if we recall the creation narrative, it's less to do with an understanding of everything was created in a literal interpretation and more to do with a God that brought order out of chaos, beauty out of a void. It's about a God who wove into existence a creation and made everything after God's own image. And so 
in this non-linear journey, the teacher of Ecclesiastes argues, is that God is willing to give us a sense of direction to forge through the many turns and backtracks and unexpected shortcuts and sheer drop-offs and beautiful vistas. God creates within us the capacity to flourish no matter where we are on the journey. God gives us a sense of direction to forge through the many facets of life. God does not intend for us to fail or to wallow in poverty or self-pity or self-martyrdom or mediocrity in any form. Why would God make us in God's own image if we were destined for failure? See, I believe God desires to bless us with the raw materials necessary for progress, such as imagination and ideas and inspiration and undeveloped capacity. Such capacity is without limitations when we trust and follow the leadership of God. Our only limitations is our inability to recognize our God-given potential. I'm reminded of, of a piece of dialogue from Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, in which one character confesses, to the other about the great anguish of the situation that they're in, saying, I wish this would never had happened. And it's the great wizard Gandalf's response, so do all who face such times. But it's not for us to decide. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time given to us. See, as we embrace that life is not predictable as we like, it does not mean that we still can't find flourishing along the journey, no matter where we find ourselves on the journey. So the first step in, in doing this is to figure out where you are on the journey. It's only our nature, it's only natural when we experience the unpredictable and unfortunate nature of life that we are so overwhelmed with the raw emotions that come with it, such as disappointment and frustration and anger and resentment and grief and sorrow and hopelessness. But the depth of these emotions can often overwhelm us to the point that we lose our place or forget where we are or fail to believe that God is with us. And no matter where we are on this non-linear journey, God is present with us. What did the psalmist write? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack for nothing. He lays with me in still waters. He is even with me in the valley of the shadow of death. See, when we're not attuned to our emotional responses to the unexpected, we can, we can lose our place. And sometimes finding our way is as simple as asking God to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. As the psalmist writes, O Lord, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When, when we don't know where we are on the journey, the, the beginning is sometimes just figuring out where we are and how that can lead to thriving. I've always been a person who has a life goal. I would love to hike the Pacific Crest Trail and the Appalachian Trail in their full entirety. So the AT starts off in Maine and goes all the way down to Georgia. Uh, the PCT runs from the Cascades of Washington to the California-Mexico border. And there was a story from a couple of years ago of a woman who went missing while she was hiking the Appalachian Trail in Maine. And unfortunately, she died. And when they found her body, after weeks of searching, she was not at the bottom of a ravine or trapped under some fallen debris. She was just mere yards off the trail. And what they believed happened was that she stepped off the path to use the restroom, 
and got turned around so much that she could not find the path. And instead of retracing her steps, she spent days going in the wrong direction until she just gave up and died. See, to flourish on the journey, we also need to find the root cause of this unexpected turn. Like a good hiker will retrace their steps when they are lost, we too can retrace how we got here in the first place. But avoidance often prevents thriving because we don't want to relive the trauma that we've gone through, that relationship that went wrong, that loss that we experienced, and how it made us feel along the way. And sometimes finding the root cause of this unfortunate place on the journey, we discover something more, something about ourselves. Sometimes in reflecting on the root cause, we discover it's our attitude and our words and our decisions and our actions that led us to where we are, and the choice is how we'll change as a result. And discovering the root cause tells us about how we move forward. When a stressor or transition in life occurs, it's normal for us to experience this sort of regression, a a fall back to old patterns, behaviors, and ways of thinking. And part of mental and spiritual development is learning how to recognize the loops of life and implement strategies to recover and get back on course. And when we can discover why we are where we are, we're more often open to the leadership of God to guide us through such experiences. I heard a story that goes like this. There was a man who had four children, and they sent each child out on a quest, in turn, to go and look at a pear tree that was a great distance away. And when they had all gone and come back, he called them together to describe what they had seen. The first child said the tree was ugly and bent and twisted. The second child said, no, it was covered with green buds and full of promise. The third child disagreed. He said it was laden with blossoms that smelled so sweet and looked so beautiful. It was so gracious thing he had ever seen. And the last child disagreed with all of them, saying, no, it was ripe and dropping with fruit, full of life and full of fulfillment. And the man explained to each of his children that they were all right, because each of them had seen the tree in each of the seasons of its life. And he told them, you cannot judge a tree, a person, or yourself by only one season. If you give up when it's winter, you'll miss the promises of spring, the beauty of summer, the fulfillment of fall. Don't let the pain of one season destroy the joy of the rest. Don't judge life by one difficult season. Preserve throughout the difficult helps us bring us along the way. Or as one person put Life is like changing seasons. You cannot change the season, but you can change yourself. Therein lies the opportunity to live the extraordinary life, the opportunity to change your life. What I love about this story is that it only teaches us that that different times of different perspectives of human experience can also teach us about how we emotionally respond to the different times and different perspectives of our life. We all emotionally respond to change, conflict, thriving, and failure differently. And there's not a one-size-fits-all, a right way to handle all these things. And if we've ever gone through the unfortunate human experience of of losing losing someone you love within your family, then you've witnessed the way that, that we all respond to the raw human emotion of grief differently. It's unpredictable. It's, it's non-conforming. 
You see, emotions are not consciously controlled. The part of the brain that deals with emotions is the limbic system. It's thought that this part of the brain evolved fairly early in human history, making it quite primitive. This explains why the emotional response is often quite, not quite straightforward, but it's also very powerful. We want to cry, we want to run away, and it's because of our responses are based on our need to survive. Emotions are strong things, but understanding them are so important. As one organizational psychologist put it, most of us are accustomed to defining ourselves in terms of our beliefs, our ideas, and ideologies. This can become a problem when it prevents us from changing our minds as the world changes and as knowledge evolves. Our opinions can become so sacred that we grow hostile to the mere thought of being wrong. And the totalitarian ego leaps into the silence of counter-arguments, squash contrary evidence, and closes the door on learning. As I mentioned before, our family enjoys playing board games on Sunday night. And enjoys uh, can be a relative term when you are the person on the losing end of the game of choice that night. Have you ever had one of those streaks when you're playing a game which seems like you always get the bad roll of the dice, the next card in the stack is not the one you need? We were playing shoots and ladders recently, and no matter how many times I tried to flick that spinner differently, I kept getting the low numbers, like ones or twos, or I would land on a shoot, and it would take me backwards to the beginning of the board. On the other hand, Aubriana, our seven-year-old, was getting all fives and sixes and kept landing on ladders, just easily working her way up the board. I'm not saying she was cheating. I'm just saying it wasn't fair. But have you ever felt this way about life? Things just aren't going your way day after day, week after week, and then you look at your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, and they seem to be thriving. Is there anything more frustrating than feeling like you are failing when others are succeeding? Doesn't it seem like they know something that you don't? Doesn't it seem like they're cheating to be so happy and so successful, so wealthy, so healthy, so joyful, so bleh? And I think one of the hard lessons from Ecclesiastes 3 is that it's trying to teach us that success and failure will come and go like the seasons. But to flourish, we have to stop comparing our lives to others and start sharing it with them. All of our lives have seasons. And yet it doesn't stop us from comparing our seasons to others, both in times of ease and in times of anxiety. And the poem begins with the personal human experience of life and death, but it ends with the experience of community, of war and peace. And verse 5 is a right-hand turn in the middle of this pretty straight poem. And after this point, the experience of human life is not solitary, meaning one cannot experience life on their own, but it's intended to be in community and relationship with others. And instead of pushing people away with our thoughts of envy and fairness, we should lean into them in our time of need. Conversely, we should share more abundantly with others when we are thriving. Paul wrote this to the church in Corinthians in his second letter. He said that we should comfort and care others in their time of struggle with the comfort we have received for Christ. For just as we share in the suffering of others, so also we share our comfort. Y'all, this is why the church exists. Not this hyped up, 
egocentric American Christianity where we've been sold this lie that faith journey is just about me and Jesus. If that was the case, then why did Jesus ever create the church? The church is intended to be a community of strong relationships with people that journey together through life. Yes, the seasons of joy and excitement, as well as the seasons of struggle and setback and loss and disappointments. Why do you think the pandemic has been so hard on so many churches? It has tested our ability to be there for each other when we could not do so physically. You and I both need the church. We are gifted with the church both to invest in our lives with other people and that they also invest in our lives as well because just as we are struggling others are thriving just as we might be thriving in our life others are struggling and we blend it together into a beautiful community and so i double dog dare that we change our way of thinking and living out our relationship with the church understanding and believing and stop acting like it's just a, a one-hour thing we do on Sunday morning where we give our tithe, we check off the box for the week, and we're done. The church is intended to be part of our life, interwoven in our relationships. There's an old proverb that goes like this. The unplanted field does not grow. And let that be the last lesson from our text. Life provides no assurances that planting a seed will provide reaping crops. We've only demonstrated the experience of others to draw upon that. The storms of life could cancel our efforts to expend in the field of opportunity, but to expend no effort during the spring will assuredly bring us no results in the fall. Growth and success and achievement and progress itself is not a straight line. It's not one direction, but rather necessity of step and two steps backwards couple of steps to the side, some zigzagging, a circular motion to ultimately get your way forward. But we'll never experience the potential of flourishing through God, no matter where we are on the journey, without our willingness to step out in faith to experience it, because the unplanted field does not grow. Let's go into a time of reflection this morning.